Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro. And these are the days of our life. Just kidding. Um, hey guys. <laughs> um, it's been a minute since I've released a podcast episode. It's been kind of a crazy last few weeks. Um, but hey, we're back at it. How exciting. I've got a special guest today that I'm going to introduce you to shortly. But before I do that, uh, I just wanted to let you know that I went to the beach a few days ago. Actually, last weekend, but that's fine. Trinidad, here in California. Um, Carly from my team and a good friend of mine, she headed back to Cal- no, back to Canada this last week. And so we all went to Trinidad for the day just to hang out and celebrate and just have a little bookend to her American experience. This is our fifth time sending her back to Canada, I believe. Anyway, it's a thing. We're used to it. But we went to Trinidad, and it was super fun just to be at the beach and, um, you know, drama. It Seriously. I was, like, trying to think of something funny from the beach experience to share. And I'm like, you know what? It wasn't a funny trip. It was, like, a heartfelt, sincere, sometimes heavy trip. Not heavy, but, like, yeah, kind of heavy. And I'm actually going to share a little bit more about that later. So a podcast episode's coming out after this. Um, so check that out. But anyway, it came from that beach trip. Um, but it was fun to be at the beach. Like I grew up in Guam and we used to go to the beach every night to see the sunset and my sister and I would play in the water while my, my dad and mom stayed, like hung out on the shore. And I remember one time I came in from the water, my older sister stayed out. So I came to see my parents. Uh, I don't know what I was doing, but I came up to them. My mom was just laying on the sand and my dad had a chopstick and was like carving out my mom's body in the sand. And so there was like a sculpted woman's figure there and it was exactly looking just like the way my mom was laying there and I remember thinking dang this guy's talented uh and I was gonna say kind of creepy but not great <laughs> um it was so amazing just to see his artfulness with something so random just sitting on the side of the beach um anyway I've got a long-standing history with the ocean that I don't really talk about a bunch but I got to touch it again this weekend anyway that happened um so you guys at the recording of this, we're a few weeks after George Floyd's death, and obviously the racism conversation in America has flared up again, and we're talking about this. And I think this time things are different. It's shocking how many people are talking about this. I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it's just so, it's become so much more aware, like the awareness has increased, and people are having to realize, like, well, there's actually a problem, and, or, you know, obviously there's opinions and whatever, but, um, I'm assuming you guys know about Becca from my team in Numa. She ran Nouveau Riche and um, also is a black woman. <laughs> um, so I've got Becca on the podcast here today. We, she and I have been, obviously we've had a few chats in the last few weeks, just in light of everything that's going on and obviously heavy and emotional and painful and all of that. And so there were a couple of times where Becca and I were chatting and I was like, dang, I, 
I think people need to hear this. I, I mean, I think it's really helpful for me to get to hear her experiences and perspective and what have you. But I'm like, man, I think people need to hear this, especially people who don't have a lot of opportunity to know a black person, whether it's geographic or whatever. Like they just don't have a lot of exposure or opportunity to cross paths with someone from the black community. And so I'm like, man, I would love to be able to just help give a chance to other people who don't naturally have this opportunity to hear, you know, from Becca's perspective and experience or whatever. So Becca, you want to say hi? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just in case we have any listeners here who don't know who you are, yeah. do I just give a bit of background of who you are and also just your history with me and Numa, and then yeah. we'll jump right into just getting into the dirt. Yeah, so I'm Becca. I'm, most people who know me call me Becca, but I always introduce myself as Rebecca. I don't know, it's just like a formal thing. I don't know why, but I do it. And then I'm like, you can call me Becca. So um, I'm from SoCal. Um, I pretty much came to BSSM and... Yeah, pretty much after two years, did not think I would be here for this long. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know if I wanted to even do third year. And I felt like that year the Lord was like, Becca, I want to um, teach you a little bit more about your gift of discernment. And I was very hesitant to it because I had always seen discernment uh, used very manipulatively. Is that a word? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just did it. I kept shunning it away. Like I was like, anytime I would feel something about somebody, I would shun it away. And then... All of a sudden, I was signing up for classes, and I see this class called Discerning of Spirits, and I was like, I'm not taking that class. <laughs> <laughs> and then I felt like I should. So, Wait, why was your initial reaction, I'm not taking that <laughs> class? Like, that sounds too deep. What the heck? Oh. Um, I, I just was, yeah, I was like so like opposed to learning about this, mm. and um, but then I actually, a couple people, I remember in a few days said something about it and was just like, it was so good. And I was like, okay. And I just really felt a pool to sign up for it. And it was the last trimester I signed up for it. First day I was like, oh man, this guy's going to change my life. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I just knew from then I also on that same day was like, dang it, I'm going to do third year and it's going to be with him. Wow. And it on was, the first day of my class? On the first what day, the within heck? the first 10 right. minutes. Wow. It was crazy. It was pretty crazy. Wow. Um, and I just was like, oh, I'm staying in Reading another year. So. It's kind of grieving that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was grieving it. So then, yeah, third year went on. Um, I ended up interning with you, and it was amazing. And I feel like I have accepted and actually grown to love my gift of discernment. Uh -huh. Um and have just learned so much over the last two years and it has been so beneficial to my life and to my relationships and so yeah so just on that while we're here anything in particular that you're like man this has been helpful and i don't i know it's not everything you yeah. learned but any like bullet points like this has been helpful or impactful or whatever i think probably the most for me is actually just trusting my gift mm. trusting what i feel mm. um and that's what i, I would constantly deny what i would mm. feel because i was like oh i don't want to judge people or i don't right. want to no this i'm sure this person's amazing like <laughs> surely know? this isn't happening <laughs> you <laughs> totally. know and i would like just completely avoid whatever it was mm. that i was feeling and mm. so i think the biggest thing that's been helpful is for me to actually trust what i'm feeling and once I've like accepted it and I've trusted it, it's like I it, it's expanded and I've been able to actually use it to help me navigate life. Yeah, totally. It's a really awesome tool. <laughs> Super helpful. It's kind of hard to think what life was like before, right? I know. How did you do it, right? Yeah, totally. Okay, now all that to say, you live in Redding, California, mm -hmm. which especially in light of the last few weeks, it's it's you know Redding's a really 
what we'd say white place, right? Yeah. Lots of lots of white folk, but also lots of like what do you like? I don't know if conservative is the right term because I don't mean politically, but like just a lot of right wing attitudes yeah. and beliefs and ideas, right? Um, yeah. Which I imagine being a black person experiencing that environment would be a different experience than someone who's not necessarily of color, right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm of color. I'm not sure. I don't really get it. But anyway, um, I wanted to... <laughs> what? Is it your part? I'm part color. <laughs> I'm like half yellow. Is that what that is? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like part. <laughs> you can like dip your toe in. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I wanted to hear from your perspective in this environment, and not to be critical, I and mean, obviously our goal is not yeah. to like criticize or condemn or punish anybody... Um, and also just for the record, you know, I think I've said this before and I'm going to keep saying it with every interview. I want Becca to get to, I'm going to keep saying this about each person in every interview, not Becca every interview. I want this person, whoever I'm interviewing to be able to share their opinions and their thoughts without having to cater to my audience or my brand or any of those things. So you guys, I'm giving Becca permission to say whatever she wants to say, wherever she's coming from. I may agree. I may not. And that's totally fine. I don't, that's not the point. I want Becca to get to share from her life experience and where she's coming from. And so, and then for you guys, just get to sort through what you love, what you hate, what were you offended by, what really struck you, what was inspiring. You, get to, you guys get to work through that. I want Becca just to be herself. So anyway, um, being a black person in Reading, there's a certain kind of experience to that from what I've heard. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that? <laughs> what, what is that experience like? Because like, well, go ahead. I'm, yeah. Well, I think to be honest, coming here, my experience as a black person didn't really change that much. I, I mean, what I've experienced has kind of happened my whole life. Um, I think coming here, I definitely have had, yeah, I can't really say it, it like was this massive change. I think what has changed the most is the fact that there's less and less people that look like me um, and more and more people who haven't stepped outside of what they were originally taught. Mm-hmm. And so just have a very closed-minded viewpoint of mm-hmm. the world and of life and people. And there's a lot of... Um, Oh, well, if I'm unfamiliar with this thing, I'm not calling myself a thing, but, you know, (laughs) if I'm unfamiliar with this concept or this kind of person or whatever or this whatever ideology, then it's like I don't accept it and automatically I have a specific kind of viewpoint on it. And I think what I've experienced most is people just labeling me as every black person. I don't know if they've ever had a bad experience with a black person or maybe they just have heard things about black people. But I think I've had to almost, even being a business owner here, prove myself. And even though there's a lot of times I'm like, I'm not going to prove myself to you. But it's almost like, oh, well, I don't really know if I even want to work with you if, like, because you're black. And it's like, and it's, I can feel it. There is something and a lot of, I've talked with a lot of other black people. And I'm not, I also don't want to endorse every black voice. We are all made uniquely, and so I think it's hard, even on social media. So you as black people don't have, like, a hive mind on all of this in opinions? (laughs) I think I get so frustrated, even, this is both sides, black and white, sometimes we can blanket statement, well, this is how black people are feeling, Mm. this is how white people are feeling, and I'm like... Um, I'm sorry, that's not true. Mm. I'm, I don't have the exact same life experiences as this black girl over here, this mm. black guy or whatever. I may not be feeling the exact same way. This may not be affecting me the exact same way. It is affecting me, but it's not affecting me like anyone else because I have my own experiences, my own life story, and my own journey that mm. I'm on. And so totally. I think in general, I have a really hard time with stereotypes and just blanket statement, blanket 
putting blanket statements on just like a group of people it's it's really it sucks mm, totally because then you have to like try and hop yourself out of that box right and just all these hurdles and obstacles have to get get around in conversations because yeah. people are coming to you with these preconceived arguments that your people already have about stuff that you're like, oh, that's not... Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like even just... Okay, for example, I drive a Land Rover. You wouldn't be... You would be so... I notice it very much. There are people who will see me get in my Land Rover, white people, who will literally look at me almost like, oh, like, excuse me? Like, how do you have this kind of car? And I can see it. I can, I can, it's written on their forehead. And I'm like. <laughs> okay, so now let me, for the, <laughs> the non-black experience in this part of this conversation, yeah. I want to ask, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. Yeah. How do you know if you're actually picking up on a, a vibe that legitimately is coming from this person where they're judging you, there's prejudice or whatever, mm-hmm. versus maybe is it possible you've been taught to look for and be paranoid or sensitive to a potential that's not actually happening? Mm-hmm. Is it both? Is it, you you know, can you tell the difference? Like, how does that play out for you? Yeah, I've been able to see both. There are definitely times that I've walked in a room and I love older people. I love older white people. But sometimes (laughs) I don't know if you were the ones who had slaves or like hated black people. I don't know. So it's like I walk in and I'm like, I don't really know how they're going to accept me. So, yes, there are times that I have kind of like this. I am walking on eggshells to try to see like are they okay with me? Are they not? And there have been times that I've come in and I'm like, oh, this person probably is not going to want to talk to me or, or maybe won't accept me or, or, and I've come in and then all of a sudden they're like, Hey, and they're so open. I'm like, Oh, okay. I was wrong. Mm. So that's definitely happened. Yeah. But then there's also been times when I come in and I'm like, you know, just my myself. I'm super bubbly. Yeah. And I come in and I'm like, oh, hi. And I can just see someone almost tense up like, why are you talking to me? I do not want to speak to you. And I'm like, oh. And they're not even saying that. I can read it in their body language. I can read it in their facial expressions. Everything about them is saying like, I am not comfortable with you. And you feel like it's typically because you're black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or in this context we're talking about, it's, yeah. it's the race thing. Can you explain, for people who aren't black, like, how do you, how do, and maybe you can't explain the feeling, but, like, how can you pick that up if it's not overtly being communicated, you know what I mean? Is it, like, body um, language? Is it, like, energy? Okay, like, you're a discernment, discernment guy. <laughs> you always talk about discernment is judgment. Mm-hmm. And even though I, like, it is, comes with trial and error, mm-hmm. with testing it, mm-hmm. And so I, it's a little hard to fully explain, but yeah. I've, I've tested it. I've literally just been like, let me just see how they feel if I like talk to them, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me see how they respond. And I can, I can feel, there's even been times when I've been around, it's, it's almost like a similar spirit. It's, it's like you can, how you've talked about similar spirits that it's like I can be around it. And even though it's a completely different person, it's like, I feel the same thing. It. Mm. Do you feel like it's spiritual? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a spiritual so agreement. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think a lot, I think racism is spiritual. Mm-hmm. I also think it's a very soulish thing, and I and it manifests itself as a lot of different ways. But um, I definitely think it's an agreement. But it's also a, a, a mindset and a belief system that's been embedded for so many years and just things that people have been taught. Mm-hmm. Like, these people are bad. Or even if they haven't... Like, I have friends who have told me... 
I have a friend who told me, you know, I used to like a black girl when I was in high school and I wanted to date her and my parents strongly advised me not to. And you would probably be like, oh, well, that's fine. But the thing is with like racism isn't like this overtly, yeah, there are some people that are overtly, like, I've been called a nigger multiple times in my life, um, to my face. Has it happened in Reading? Yes. Or so recently? It's happened, it hasn't happened in the last year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask more about that later, but go ahead. Yeah. But there are some people that are overtly racist, but then there are other people, it's a, it's a lack of value thing. It's actually seeing me as you don't bring the same value to the table as a, a white person would, or as a non-black person would. And so it's like, okay, why would you strongly advise for someone not to date a black girl? And when I, when I was asking this friend questions, and they're like, oh, they said, I'll have difficulty in life or it will be it, it will just be tough and you're gonna have to deal with some challenges that you probably won't want to deal with and hmm. I think those are the things when you actually are devaluing someone's uh, like what they bring and just who they are as like a their human worth. their worth hmm. that is racism hmm. it's like it and I think sometimes people don't want to acknowledge it but it's like it's not just this overt, like, I hate black people. It's actually seeing someone saying, like, well, I don't want to hire that person because they're black. I don't want to work with that person because they're black. And maybe you're not saying it. You're just like, oh, I'd, I'd prefer to not have that person. I'd prefer to not hire that person. I'd prefer to not date that person. And it's like, oh, well, why? And sometimes I've asked that question and people don't have answers. They're like, oh, well, I, I mean, I just, and it's like, what like what is act what is the thing what is the actual and it's like people don't want to say it but I'm like that is and it's not saying like you're a racist it's like hey those like the view that you're seeing that person through is a form of bias and seeing that just because the color of their skin they are less than they can't perform in a way that someone else who doesn't have black skin can mm. which is like what mm. totally Interesting. it's like not even being able to have a similar starting place like yeah. can we at least have a similar opportunity like being open up to like a level playing field yeah can yeah. we have a level playing field and like if we don't show up and we don't like if you're if say this is a job interview and i don't show up and I, this other candidate is better you hire them but don't do it based on you look at me and just by the way you look i know that you're not capable yeah, totally. and i've had people do that my whole life hmm Interesting. I've had a teacher who has told my mom when I was in elementary school, the other teachers in the school told me to fail your daughter because she's black, and I decided that I'm not going to, and I just wanted to let you know that's what's going on. This is when I was in fifth grade. Were you like the, uh, one of the only black people at this school? I grew up in a town that had some black people sprinkled, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, if half the grade is black, you can't fail half the grade, no. right? No, so, it wasn't like that. Interesting. I grew up in the suburbs. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so I wanted to ask, you know, there's some rhetoric out there on social media that says, like, racism doesn't exist in this country. It's not, that's not true. And, you know, we've got statistics or whatever. I'm saying I want to bypass all mm -hmm. of that. From your experience as a black woman in America, do you think there's racism in this country? I mean, I think if you hear the stories that I just said and think that there's not racism, it's like, 
there is such a blind blindfold on your eyes and ears. It's like, how do you not hear? I think what's really hard is people are not, this is a heart issue. And I don't say that from a place of, oh, only Jesus can fix that. But also I'm like, you have to see a human in front of you. You have to hear a human story and actually see being willing to see a human emotions in the midst of this. Yeah. But when you remove the humanity out of it, then it's just like, oh, I don't I don't need to look at this. I don't actually need to look at a person. But as humans, we tend to have more compassion when we actually hear someone's story. Totally. When we're actually willing to stop and be like, okay, let me hear maybe why you're so angry. Let me hear maybe why you feel this way or why, you know, all these things are happening. But it's like, there's so much uh, making this political. And it's like, well, I'm just going to blanket statement these things as to why these people are doing these things. And I'm not going to see hearts that are hurting. And I'm not going to actually listen to humans who are telling you, this is what I'm experiencing. Please listen to me. And it's like, I think that for me is just so sad. Like that people, there not everybody, there are a lot of people though who are not willing to just stop and say, let me just consider let me just let me make space for this person's story but at the same time if you i mean it goes back to how you love yourself if you don't make space for your own pain no one else has space for their pain to come to the table so a lot of people if if they haven't been able to like even come to the point of allowing their pain or maybe having compassion on themselves there's no way you can give compassion interesting so outside of perception or discernment let's go get a little further out from this where it's less subjective or you know uh in reading yeah, yeah. I mean, you, when we last chatted you were telling me that you've had experiences where people were straight up saying racist stuff to you can yeah. you give us an example give me like can you share a story of like something that happened in the last couple of years where because you're black you got treated this way and it wasn't because you got picked up a vibe this thing happened which is overtly racist have you had experiences like that um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, this one is probably like the most obvious. I was standing on the street with my sister downtown. Um, How long ago was this? This was probably like two years ago. Okay. In Reading? In Reading. Okay. Right on the street near where the old Salvation Army was. And okay, we were actually just taking pictures. And I was like, oh, take a picture of me. And she's taking a picture of me. And these two guys drive by in a truck and yell out the window, you niggers, why are you here? Two white dudes? Mm-hmm. Okay, so can, <laughs> what, what happened then? What, how did, what did you guys do? Um, to be honest, I pretty much was like, okay, well, that just happened. <laughs> and... It's happened so often, I think I just brushed it off. And I just kind of was like, well, that sucks for them. Like, that sucks that you believe that way. And you see me as that, and only that. You have no idea who I am. Right. So it just comes across as these guys being ignorant and Mm -hmm. maybe deplorable on some level. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then, so that's obvious, right? That's not you picking up a bike. That's them straight up, like, yeah. slinging stuff. That sucks. Yeah. Um, 
did you and your sister have to chat through it? Was it just like, eh, whatever, you moved on, it wasn't a big deal? Like, how did... Um, yeah, I mean, that can go in a whole nother direction of, like, how people deal with trauma and how do people deal with, like, um, just things that they've consistently experienced that it's like, oh, well, this feels too painful to experience because I didn't realize at the time that I had experienced that so many times that I would just brush it off. It was like, oh, well, that's fine. I'm just going to continue to move on. It was almost like I was completely disassociated from the pain that that was actually causing me. And so in the moment, we were just kind of like, well, that sucks. And it's frustrating, but we can't do anything about it. So we're going to continue moving on with our lives. Okay, let's continue moving on. And, um, yeah, that that wasn't the best way to deal with it. But that's how I did at that point in my life. Mm. Now, in hindsight, just with your journey, as, as you continue to grow in this mm -hmm. process and conversation, what do you think you would have done if that happened again? Would you... I think I probably would have allowed how that actually felt to come to the surface. And you would like express that? Yeah. Mm. And like allowed it to come out. Like, mm. and if that came out and like, not obviously not anger on this person, I'm that's, I don't endorse that. I don't think that that's how we solve this issue. Um, but if it was anger and just like, I'm actually frustrated that people still think this way mm. and people still see me this way, um, actually allowing that to come up, out and not just brushing it off as if, oh, it's fine. That doesn't bother me. Like, oh, it's fine. They just don't know any better. Yeah. I, I would have actually gave myself space to be like, that sucks. And that's really, that hurts. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Now, going through the last few weeks and Black Lives Matter, the protests, George Floyd, all these things, obviously there's been a lot of flare-up and conversation. And um, What was it like, I'm assuming, based on our conversations, you got put in a position where people are like looking to you for mm -hmm. guidance, right? And direction, and what are we supposed to do? And how do I fight my white privilege or wake up from my, you know, whatever. And like, yeah. you became, I mean, on some level being put in a position where you're supposed to have answers for people or like expected to have answers that maybe you didn't have at that point. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like? And Yeah, I think it was pretty overwhelming. Um, I think that there was a mix of emotions and I, and again, I don't speak on behalf of every single black person. I speak on behalf of me and what I experienced. Um, I, you know, when I first saw it, um, there was automatic, just disgust and um, and sadness and grief over the fact that something like that could be filmed and put on social media and to see people's responses like yeah there was you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know not acknowledge that there were a lot of people who saw it and were moved by it and were like there's something wrong here but then to see a whole other group of people to completely disconnect from the human that he was and say, oh, well, you know, it, it was this, or he had this. He, you know, I've, had, I've heard people say, like, he had a criminal record, or, well, you know, there was other stuff going on. And it's like, but how does that justify the way that he died? That it, it, there's no reason that justifies being killed that way right. on live TV, social media is basically <laughs> right, live totally TV. Right. Um, and so I think what was hard was just the one personally experiencing it. And, and this is something like my therapist says all the time is when you see trauma, 
um, it's almost the same as you experiencing it. When you actually mm-hmm. witness it, it's almost as it, it's the same. Your body takes it in, your soul takes it in as if you're the one experiencing it as well. And I, and yes, I didn't get killed that day, but I definitely had these, where I was completely, I couldn't even run my business for the next two days. Like it was, I was trying to focus on, okay, well I have things to do. And then I would just randomly burst out in tears. Um, and I would just randomly be like, God, why is this going on? Like, what is happening? Like, when is this going to change in this nation? Like, how does something like that happen? Like, and I just, I just kept having these moments where I would try to work and then I'd just be like, I can't believe that happened. Like, I can't believe this is something that we're like, this, this happens. And it's just kind of like, oh, you know, another person getting killed. And, and the thing is, I, I, I saw somebody post this and I was like, man, it, it was so good. And they were like, you know, racism isn't getting worse in America. It's just getting filmed. And it's just basically getting more views. It's like Gary Vee. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I saw it. I've seen so many things yeah. in the last few weeks. <laughs> right, I don't totally. even know who posted what. <laughs> Everybody's sharing and whatever. And so I think it just was like such a a very simplistic way of saying like, guys, this hasn't, this isn't like a now problem. Mm. Like black people have been saying this for years. And and it's almost one of those things. I think we talked about this last a few weeks ago when we when I when we were in person, and I was like, you know, there's a difference between growing up in a rural city where you have everyone around you looks the same. You've never met a black person. You've never heard a story about slavery. You've never heard it. Like you just are so covered and in this bubble and sheltered. There's a difference between that. And seeing people have movements that are like, hey, we're being oppressed. Hey, we need help. All this different stuff. And just ignoring. That is, there, there's two very different things. And that's where it's hard. It was hard with how many people were pulling on me and was like, oh, tell me, tell me, what do I do? Or how do I change this? And I'm like, that's, that's not my job to like educate you. Like, Google it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to sit here and now tell you, okay, so this is everything that's been going on for the last 400 years. And, you know, this is what we've experienced. And, you know, this is why people are angry. And, you know, I, I'm like, I no, I'm not going to do that right now. Right now I'm grieving and my heart is really hurt and I have a lot of pain coming up. And I don't want to tell you as to why you may be contributing to the problem right now. And it was just like I had to... Like, I was being confronted with people who were reaching out, but then I was also being confronted with, like, which we had this conversation of people who weren't saying anything, and I was just like, man, like, or just trying to, like, completely brush over it, like, oh, I'm just going to talk to you, like, nothing happened, like, hey, how are you doing? Uh, How's life? How's business? And I'm like, you know, you can, you can actually ask me how I'm doing, like, that, that's actually okay. I know it may be uncomfortable, but... Like, please see me as a human who has a heart, who may be experiencing something in this moment. Um, And so I think just it was a mix of things that I was experiencing over two weeks. I feel like now I'm at this point where I've been able to process a lot of it and I feel like I can actually talk about it and I can um, 
I can do things like this where I'm actually like a little bit more educating and all that stuff. But within the first two weeks, it was just, it was so much. Um, And I felt like for me, I felt like there was like years of pain that just all hit in one moment. And I almost felt like I had my own awakening of how much I've ignored my pain. Mm, totally. Yeah. Nice. Um, I was, so a friend of mine is doing a reconciliation ministry course or something. I'm not sure what it's called, but basically okay. it's a five week, like specifically for white people and, okay. she, and she's white and she's walking them through how do we wake up to I, you know, the terms are white privilege and, yeah. you know, all that stuff. <clears throat> so the first class was last night and I'm taking it. I because she and I have talked a lot about these things and especially yeah. the last couple of weeks. And so I'm taking the thing That's just awesome. to like hear what she has to say and watch people process through this and chime in and whatever. And, um, one of the things that we went through last night in this course was she, they, we're going through like a, a workbook that her mentor, um, put together. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a black woman and basically the, exercise was close your eyes and envision a community of people or the world or whatever um a a country or whatever like a group of people Mm -hmm. who are of all different kinds of nationalities all different kinds of ethnicities skin color whatever Mm -hmm. envision them existing together what could it look like for these people to be valued equally to be seen as you know Mm -hmm contributing members of this society they're all part of and they, you know, have space for each other and respect each other a lot. Um, so I actually gave myself over to that experience and just like close my eyes and I, I remember thinking that this was last night and I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how many, like in all the drama and the conversations and the upset and whatever, how many of us are actually like seeing the future with this problem going having gone away do we actually have a vision for that you know what i mean or do we only see a problem and just need to pick a side of how we're going to fight about it that's actually not constructive i mean obviously there's work to be done and we want to fix things and reconcile all things but having vision where you know like there isn't so much distinction and separation where people could actually like live life together and have value for each other and our relationships would breach past you know skin color level like whoa that is a powerful exercise it was so simple it was like a few minutes, you know, but yeah. I'm like, man, how many of us are totally missing that from the equation of actually getting to envision what it would look like for this to be normal, yeah. you know, like whatever that would look like for us and not just black people, obviously the black yeah. community, but then any other community, like what would it look like for us? To, you know, it's yeah. fascinating. And I feel kind of funny in this conversation because I grew up in Guam, which is a Chamorro culture, right? A bunch of brown people. My mom's yeah. white. My dad's Japanese. I didn't have, I didn't have my people. I didn't exist. Yeah. Right. And so this isn't new, like having to learn how to bridge. And so the church that I went to, it was, it was blended. It was all kinds of different kinds of like ethnicities there. So that was normal. I didn't feel, I remember thinking as a young kid, like, oh, this is weird. Oh yeah, their, their mom is this and their mom's this and my mom's this. And, you know, just having yeah. to sort through it and we'd laugh and whatever. And it wasn't a big deal. And we all learned to get along and it was whatever. I'm not saying it was utopian, but it, it was functional, right? There was blendedness and there wasn't any like ostracism. Ostracizing. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> I wanted ostracization, but I can't say it. I can't say it. Ostracization. Ostracization. <laughs> um, anyway, but coming to mainland America, I moved here when I was 10, like, you know, to the mainland. Yeah, it's a lot more. <laughs> just, 
<laughs> I like Nico on the mainland. <laughs> That's because I was living on a tiny island for the first I 10 know. years of my life. So anyway, <laughs> coming here, the people groups are way more distinctly, yeah. not segregated in like an intense way, but they do clump, you know, and like yeah. they have their lifestyle and their rhythm and it's, there's a bit of a separation there. Mm-hmm. That is apparent to me as I look back, I'm like, yeah, that was, that was true. A lot of the white people were together and blah, blah, blah. And I was always not a white person in the white groups that I was part of, you know, whatever. Um, but so like these people, I'm like, yeah, they might not actually have a scope or vision for what it could look like for this to be possible. I don't have to envision it. I experienced it a bunch, you know, like yeah. that was normal. So it's like well, interesting to try and, cause as we went through the white, we looked at the four W's, the white privilege, the white supremacy, mm. white fragility. There's a fourth one. I don't remember. White guilt. Oh, I think it was actually white guilt. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Was it that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so as we were going through, some like a bunch of white people are chiming in. I was like, oh, like they had, they don't have any experience with this. They don't have vision for that. And so as we're talking about this, I'm like, I think that was a really helpful exercise to just take a moment and envision, like actually look at the world and what would it look like if these people were all equally able to participate and represent, yeah. you know. It's so funny you're talking about this right now because, okay, you love movies. Uh-huh. Um, over the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been watching a few different movies, not like slavery movies or anything. <laughs> I just don't need to see it. You know, it's like I already know what happened. I don't need to see it again. Um, <laughs> I'm like watching The Help on repeat. <laughs> wow. Um, but like, <laughs> so I ended up watching Frozen 2. Have you seen Frozen 2? I have. Okay. So, the moment the movie started, I hadn't seen it. Yes, I know. I hadn't seen it. Wow. Um, and I just kind of was like, wow, this movie feels a little bit like how, like America. Like, and just from the beginning. Mm, and just when the dad is sharing the story to the daughter. And I had no idea what the movie was going to go. But all of a sudden, I had this thought. And I was like, I don't know why it feels like that story is not true. I was like, it just feels like that's, there's like some, there's maybe more to the story that he's not sharing that, you know, they presented themselves as heroes and, you know, and the other people as like savages and, you know, whatever. And I just kind of was like, huh. And I just kept watching the movie. Didn't say anything. Finally, we get to the end and, you know, you've seen it. Everything comes out. Wow. This, oh, they were the ones who actually betrayed and, you know, started this, all this thing. And now our land can heal because we're taking ownership over this thing. Mm. And we actually get to like come in unity and have reconciliation. And I literally, at the end of the movie, the people I was watching it with, we had this like discussion and I was like, in, you know, and they were like, oh, this, I love this movie. And I was just like, wow. I was like, and they're like, what do you think? And I was like, I feel like this is a prophetic picture for America. And they were like, what? Like, <laughs> it was very, like, there was no... <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, and the moment that I said that, it was like, oh, my gosh. And and I just was, like, just highlighting a couple points that I saw. And I was like, you know, and I just want to add this tidbit in there. My brother-in-law, he's German. And obviously, he doesn't speak on behalf of all of Germany. <laughs> but he, but I've actually recognized this from a few different... I've had another German who have talked to me about this. And I've had a couple other internationals who have talked to me about this. And they don't see this as, like... They don't experience this the same in their countries. And obviously, I'm being very general right now. But one thing that my brother-in-law said was, in Germany, we don't... We don't call, we don't have a specific month that we categorize, here's Nazi history, or not Nazi, here's a Jewish history month. 
We don't actually do that. We have adopted what we have done as a nation as our history. It's part of our history. We've owned it. And we have actually, we're the ones who teach it in our schools and say, here's our history. These are things we did to Jewish people. And I was like, huh. And we were having this whole conversation. I was like, I feel like that is like, there's ownership that was taken as a nation over something that you guys put into place, but there was own, it's not guilt, actual mm-hmm. ownership and wow. repentance wow. and a shifting of, okay, let's actually own this. We did this. This is our history. We don't want this again. Yeah. This was not right. good. Yeah. We don't want that. We actually we want We separate that. ourselves we, from this decision. Exactly. Yeah. We, we have unity. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, all that stuff. So then when I was watching Frozen, again, the thought of that came in and I was like, wow, I feel like this is a prophetic picture because one... It's like, you come in, okay, we're the ones who put this, when I say we're, I'm, I'm saying white people, it's like black people can't change the system of white supremacy, of you know segregation, of division. We can't repent for that because we didn't create that system in America. We were brought into that system. Mm. That system was created. Mm. So we can't repent for that. That actually has to be repentance on the white end. Mm. That actually has to be ownership on the white end. This is something our aunt, and even if, and I think what's hard is a lot of people don't want to take ownership for that. They're like, no, well, I didn't do that. Well, that wasn't mine. And it's like, we're not, I'm not trying to blame you. I'm not trying to accuse you. But there does have to be like a general, like, hey, we actually get to repent over this thing and actually change it. Take the steps. Repentance is a changing of the mind, but also walking out, cleaning up the mess that was made. And and I, I loved it how they showed it in Frozen 2 because it's Elsa that has the powers, right? So Elsa, you know, she goes down to that cave and she sees, you know, oh my God, it was my grandfather, my ancestor who did this. And Anna... Even though she didn't get to hear it from Elsa's mouth, she saw it. And what did she do? She took, in the moment, ownership over it. My grandfather is the one that did this. This is not okay. I am now going to change what he put into place. And I'm going to take action towards changing this. And I'm going to make something different because I want unity. I want our land to be healed. I want, you know, all of this different stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that is, if we want to know, Maybe what we need to do. Maybe we should all go watch Frozen 2. <laughs> because I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know what's crazy is I even I even last night watched uh, Maleficent 2. You're just watching all the twos. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh my god. I was like, how it's many movies time. have how many movies have prophetically basically been telling America, hey, this is what you need to do. Oh, Maleficent um, 2. Maleficent 2. I literally watched it last night and I was like, oh my God, this is another picture of what we have to do. I was like, oh my God, people need to watch more movies. Um, <laughs> more sequels. And, <laughs> and so I'm literally looking at this war that breaks out and it just, it had to come with this unity of like, no, we're not going to do this. The sun taking ownership of, I'm no longer going to approve of this division we get to live as one in harmony and i'm like oh but it it wasn't the bird people who could do that (laughs) they can't put that into place because they didn't create that division (sighs) girl one thing i wanted to point out with the frozen two thing that struck me from that i mean i didn't experience it like this although all of a sudden you're saying i'm like oh my gosh yeah else no anna 
her response to me like that my father I know, yeah. she's gonna she's I'm gonna fix this yeah the sacrifice she had to make as a princess was I'm gonna give up my kingdom yes! knowing that her her land was gonna get to she's like oh that's why they vacated this the country was so that we could wash this out and so she's like I'm gonna lose my throne but then she didn't lose it right but the willingness the was willingness she to had to be lose. willing to let it go oh. and so she did that which is a princess move like that's royalty that's happening, nobility right? that's nobility Carrie that's Lloyd ownership. would love that <laughs> nobility yeah and so then she gives it up makes the choice doesn't hesitate just like take it make this right fix this and then obviously yes the kingdom doesn't get destroyed whatever great but um, such a you're, I totally agree prophetic picture of ownership royalty in action, like and I'm going to walking out the process of repentance. Uh, and like, it's not enough to just feel something or to say something. Or saying I'm sorry. Right? It's like I'm taking action I'm to change right. what has been put in place. Wow. Huge. <sighs> <laughs> while you were just while you were going for it, you just dropped, and I was like, whoa, just like presence. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's just it's so. <sighs> I think I'll speak for me. I like I don't want to accuse white people. I want to do this, and it has to be done in relationship. It has to be done on a heart level. We can't politicize people. We have to actually like remove that, see a heart, and actually be like, there's genuine pain here on both ends, not just white to black, but black to white. There is actual pain here. They didn't, either they didn't know any better, they were never taught. Okay, I'm actually gonna choose to let go of my offense and hear. Okay. Let's actually let's talk about this. Mm. Let's let's put down our dagger and have a conversation without being like, oh, you said that, you said that wrong. Yeah, right. Oh, and mm. and poking at everything somebody says wrong on both ends. Right. Like, hey, let's remove the daggers from the table. Let's actually just have a conversation without trying to stab everybody every two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and like, this process is gonna be messy. It's going to be messy. There's no way to walk out repentance. And a changing of a system that's going to be clean. There's no way. So if people are not willing to go through the mess and not willing to have something, oh, I just said something that offended you. Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to choose to pick up the dagger again and stab you just because you said, I'm going to actually like be like, okay, hey, th- that actually doesn't feel good when you say it like that. That was hurt. That, that hurt. Yeah. You know, and actually go through the mess. Mm. But... It, it has to be done in relationship. It has to be a willingness to be humble. Totally. Totally. Huge. So good. Becca, thank you for sharing. Super helpful. Uh, man, that was helpful. I mean, this is like more than what you and I even talked about before, which I love that you're getting to go on your own journey and like process through all this and what is your voice and all this because you and I both are like pretty like, hey, you've got a voice here, you know? <laughs> we need you to... Yeah. bring that that was so good thank you for sharing thanks yeah. for coming on here and like being able to share your perspective and obviously this is painful and like there's such volatility around the whole thing and there's like strong presence trying to keep this a fight and trying to keep people separate and blah blah, blah. and so i love that we get to say no to that and yeah. yes to messy reconciliation let's clean it up let's take ownership and let's fix this you know yeah. let's like unify and yeah. bring people in and yeah love it Thank you. Totally. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> so important. Oh. Woo. Cool. Okay, you guys got to wrap this up. Um, like, comment, subscribe. Give us a five-star review if that's in your heart. Um, would love that. 
Um, and then also just want to throw out to you guys, we've got the new Miss Symposium coming up in July. It's a strictly online event this year. We've got some really cool stuff coming up for that. One little sneak peek I want to just tell you guys, this is not officially released yet, but I'm, I, just, I guess I like to leak things on my podcast. We're going to take the first session of the symposium. It's going to be free and open to the public. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm just going to tell it like it is. What did Jesus do? What happened to us? And I want it to be open to anyone. So those of you guys who are coming or not, you can jump in yourselves, but also friends, family, unbelievers who don't know the gospel, haven't heard the radical redemption of Jesus' blood in our lives and what it did for us. You wanted to hear it? I'm going to preach it on our first session of the symposium that's free and open to the public. So if you want to join us for that, please keep that in mind. We want you to be part of it. It's going to be amazing. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.